this is Stephanie Hansen, and you are listening to the Makers of Minnesota, where we talk to cool people doing cool things in the state of Minnesota. And my guest today is, I can say, I think a personal friend, Haley oh, Matthews. Oh, I don't Jones. know about that, Stephanie. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course you can. A uh, personal <laughs> friend who happens to curate both the Minneapolis craft market, but also the Minneapolis vintage market. Thanks for being a guest on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be with you too. Yeah. Um, I I remember when I first met you and I don't remember where we first met. Maybe it was on the weekly dish because you also uh, yeah, I think curate so. women who whiskey, women who whiskey yep. with uh, your friend Molly. Mm-hmm. And I remembered when I met you right away, like you had the thing that I like in people yeah. like that. I'm like, oh, they're a cool person. They're doing cool stuff. Yeah. And then little did I know that over the course of the last couple of years that we would end up actually working on a project together. Yes. Yeah. A couple of projects together, yes. in fact. Yeah. So you curate the Minneapolis craft market and then that moved into also curating the Minneapolis vintage market. Yeah. And we work with you or I work with you on the Arden Bayfront Park and Stone Arch Festival mm-hmm. events where we do vintage markets. Yep. You are British, right? That's right. How did you get here? <laughs> uh, so I moved here in 2008. Um, I did the whole fiancé visa thing and and came here on that. Um, met a boy, married him, uh, came here. And then a few years after that was really missing like that whole market scene that London has. And that was kind of what I grew up as a teenager doing like on my weekends and stuff. And just felt like that was something that was really missing here. So I started the craft market in 2015 and then we added the vintage market in 2018. So when you were in London, did you live in London? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so, Greenwich. and you grew up there. Yep. And so how weird was it to have met someone and like right away were you like, oh yeah, United States, let's go. Uh, it, it was a little more, it was a little trickier than that. We, uh, we went back and forth for a while on whether to move to London or, you know, both of us were traveling at the time that we met. And so we were both kind of homeless for want of a a better, better expression. And it was kind of easy in that way that we, neither of us had ties to one place so we could really choose wherever we wanted. And at that time it was, um, the beginning of 2008 and we naively thought, well, you know, the U S has like a great economy right now. And, you know, it'd be really easy to find a job there and stuff. And I moved here in November of 2008, which was like a month before the whole recession. recession. Hit. Yeah. Um, and at the time that I moved here, I couldn't work for about six months until I had my employment authorization and it was winter in Minneapolis. And I was just really ill prepared for that I had like one slightly warm coat which was no no snow boots I came here with like you know a pair of hiking boots I think was the closest thing I had so I was very like I I did not fully understand what I was signing up for I will say and the first few years were were really hard and then I feel like each year it's gotten progressively easier and I think it's good that you didn't know because you maybe wouldn't have come right I would not have definitely would not have come. I would not have signed up for that winter. And certainly like from 2008 to now, I would say the political climate has changed a lot, Mm -hmm. um, both for maybe some good and some bad, depending Mm -hmm. on your point of view. Um, The economy has been good since then. Yeah. How did you, so tell me about what the scene is in London for people that don't know what that market scene feels like. Yeah, it's just um, really every area of London has this, you know, a huge bustling market that has been in place for decades, if not centuries. So like where I'm from in Greenwich is actually uh, the longest running continuous market site in in London, maybe even in England, I'm not sure. 
Um, so there's always been a market on that square of, of land since like the 1700s. And so it's just such a cultural like icon, you know, it's, 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 everything is built around that because that's how the, the town grew, you know. And it's community. It is. It's completely community. And so um, that market in particular is very heavy on arts and crafts on weekends. And then they also have specific days that are just for antiques. They also do like a vintage car event in the market a couple of times a year. Um, and then so different parts of London are famous for different things. Camden in like North London has a lot more punk, uh, a lot more music scene, a lot more kind of uh, edgy art stuff, I would say. And then you go to like a Portobello Road and that's definitely heavier on classic antiques and uh, produce. And, cool. you know, so each one has its own kind of personality and definitely its own crowd. Um, and so it was just a really, like, I, it was very much part of my upbringing and I just really missed that here. So when you came, you decided you wanted to start that. You built, I think I'm assuming you built some software to kind of put this together or how did you sign people up? Because you seem like you were really seamless yeah, no, point I, of entry. Um, so I've been an event planner for, or since I graduated university. So like 15 years now. Um, and I actually just use Eventbrite for my registration and I've piloted a couple of different, uh, systems and, you know, I feel like Eventbrite is expensive. They've changed their like their um, fee format in the last couple of years, it is expensive, but it's also the best. And functionality wise, like until someone makes something better or until I'm ready to invest into custom software, which I'm not, I don't really have any desire to yeah. do that. Um, it works fine and everyone knows how to use it. It's, oh, that's funny yeah. because I just assumed you had some like proprietary software. So you're sending out, you have your list of people, mm -hmm. you send out like to the, your 200 possible vendors and then they sign up through Eventbrite, they pay, mm -hmm. and you're good to go. Yeah, so the the whole kind of uh, system behind the market and how I wanted it to run was I wanted it to be different from like an annual craft fair where there's this kind of months out application process and you have to be, as a, an artist or a vendor, super organized and know all your deadlines and you find out months in advance. I wanted to create a regular outlet for people so if they – had a slow month and they need to make up some money, they can sign up for something up to um, our registration closes every Sunday night at 8 p.m. for the upcoming week. So if there are spaces left, you can sign up as, as late as a week ahead of time. And so I wanted to have this very like um, self-managed system. I don't want to be you know, approving things and waitlisting people and manually managing all of that. It's very like we have a lot of automated systems down for waitlisting and things like that now. Um, so that just, it, it was meant to be very like hands off for me because of the volume that we do. So, um, I host like over 80, 80 events a year now. And so to be micromanaging people into those slots is like way too much. Yeah. So I just assumed you had proprietary software. That's yeah, fascinating. I should look into that. that. Eventbrite. <laughs> yeah. But again, like maybe not if it works for you, what's yeah. the point? Well, that's kind of where I am. It's like, well, there are other things that right now probably need more of my time and focus and I could look at improving that, but it's also, it works. So yeah. If it ain't broke, and you know? how many craft markets are you doing versus this vintage market thing is really taken off. It seems like, yeah, the vintage market, we just do a one a month. So we have 12, 12 a year of those. I think actually we did 13 this year with the, um, Bayfront park festival added in. Um, and then the, the craft market, we do basically two or three shows a month through kind of October time. And then as soon as it gets to November and December, we have like six events a day in December, some weekends. What is craft uh, to, to you? 
to us, so our criteria that we use is um, it has to either be handmade, um, fair trade and ethically sourced um, and preferably that the maker is the person that's there selling, although that's not a strict requirement for us. So um, I can tell you what it's not. It's definitely not things like um, multi-level marketing businesses. We don't allow, you Press know, on resale, and, things yep. like that. Um, yeah. So we try and be pretty strict about knowing where everything is sourced from and that it has like an ethical or sustainable piece to it if possible. Um yeah, and we have now uh, just over a thousand artists that are approved to sell with us now. That is so amazing yeah. that there's that many. Yeah, yeah, and they keep coming out of nowhere, and I'm like, how have I never heard of you before? And you know, we just we get new people. We average about thirty applications a month, so that's just so excellent. Coming in, yeah. And you have a team of people now. Like I've worked with some of your team; mm-hmm. they're great. Yeah. That's so you can can you just continue to grow, and is that a business strategy, or is it to do do something different like when you look ahead yeah because you've been really successful the last couple of years yeah what's next yeah that's interesting you should ask that because I I actually just finished a course finished a course over at Women Venture um so they just started offering this 10-week course um and previously they had done things for startup businesses and I had done a couple of their initial classes on like writing a business plan and things like that and then they also offer things for businesses that are at the kind of multi-million dollar plus level and seeking investment capital and things like that but they didn't really have anything for that middle ground so they just launched this new course it was a 10-week course with five-week focus on business financials and then five weeks on marketing and basically the point of it is to develop a five-year plan figure out where you're going next and then make sure that your finances and your marketing plan are both working towards the same thing and that you understand how those two pieces are going to get you to your five-year plan. How smart. So it's a super cool course. I would, I highly recommend it. I think Women Venture does, um, does really excellent education anyway, but this was particularly useful for me because I was feeling very much like, um, so that, you know, my initial business plan was to get to the point where I am now. And then I had that question of like, well, what's next? How do we grow from here? So where I'm looking to go next is to build out our our kind of online presence and our assets and things like that so that we are not just a straight retail commodity where we have the events piece down, but then we're also providing educational resources for all of these small businesses that come through us. We are looking at starting a podcast next year, which was would be like another way to do, um, we did some educational workshops earlier this year, and it would just be kind of a more practical format for those, for the people that um, can't always attend an event in person, you know, everyone's so busy and stuff. Um, and then building our library of like resources in terms of, um, we'll be launching a blog with our new website later this month and some how to's and easy takeaway pieces. And then also educational pieces for people that are wanting to, you know, if you're an artist or a maker, who's like not sure how to make that jump into selling in person or selling online, offering resources to train people to get their business to those places. Is that something that you are doing for profit or for whole wholeness of the community that you serve? Yeah, it's. I don't really see it as a money maker. I don't even know if we'll charge for many or any of those those resources. Um, what I see it more as is leveraging the knowledge that we've gained in the past four years and building our reputation. So my goal really is for the market to be the place, the go to place that. If someone is writing an article or if someone is making a TV show about, you know, any of the industries or sectors that we serve, 
that we're the go-to people. So whether it's a speaking engagement for me or it's trying to get in touch with some of our vendors for opportunities for, you know, like Mall of America has done pop-ups recently using right. um, a lot of vendors that come through our markets. Rose, Rosedale now has um, Rose and Loon. And so there are all these different opportunities that I see as being like next in the pipeline for people that start at our markets. And how do we get them ready to take those next steps or whether it's even just going, taking their business from part-time to full-time. So I think there's a lot of, um, what I love about the community that we have here is that it's a lot about collaboration and community. People are um, very willing to share their information and their experience that they've learned. As I'm sure you, mm-hmm. you, you're finding that with the podcast as well, that it's really cool that people are willing to say like someone helped me on the way up and I would like to help other people. So um, and does that feel like you? Yeah. 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 It feels like a natural progression because I think that we are at a place where there's not a lot more to fine tune on the markets that we're offering. And I feel like as we've seen people who maybe did their first markets with us in the first season that we were open, those are the businesses that are now at Mall of America or even starting their own pop-up locations mm-hmm. or, or stores. Um, so I think there's like, it's really cool to see that growth of people's business and like, and the evolution. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there and, um, really just to galvanize what it is that we've learned and, and share that out with people. And there is a lot of that in the food space or Mm -hmm. some of that in the food space, like maker to market and how do you scale up and you start at the farmer's market. How do you end up selling to Kowalski's and what does your packaging need to look like? And people are, are, have resources that help people, but there isn't that in retail at your level that I've ever seen. So yeah. Yeah. And I think like there's lots of opportunity for us to do things in a fairly low cost way with like online resources and, um, even just how we, we present the products that are coming through our markets. So we're working on building up our library of like really good product photography. We have a lot of in a, like in-person live event photography but we don't have a lot of styled shoots and things like that and for both of our markets that's a really essential piece and the vintage market even more so in some ways because it's kind of about that lifestyle and that um, inspirational piece that I think sometimes people struggle with vintage of feeling it's overwhelming or because you don't know what you're going to find when you go to a vintage market like a lot of people get turned off by that and so showing people okay well if you have a denim jacket for example here's how you could style that and so kind of showing people less about the specifics of you will find this this is what you can buy it's more about how do you incorporate those pieces into what you're already wearing or I how love your that already idea looks yeah and- Arcs Value Village used to have a styling mm-hmm. and I, I think they probably still do yeah um I really thought that was so smart. The personal shopper service. Yeah. They, yeah, they do still have that. I think it's fantastic. And I've done that session with them. And it's it was so fun because um, I did that with Michelle Raven when she was still there. And she picked out a bunch of things that I never would have picked off the shelf for my, myself. Um, but they were just so cool. And of course, it's like for a good cause as well. Our mutual friend Sarah is coming yes. to my house, I think, next weekend. I said to her like a week ago, you know... I feel like I need like a 2020 makeover. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just kind of, I left corporate America as it were about three and a half years ago. I have cute summer clothes because dresses are pretty easy. And I have like, I'm going to an event clothing. Yeah. But I don't have like cute, stylish, 
jackets and things yeah. to wear with jeans. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, the press shirt thing is like, I have a million of them, but who yep. wants to wear those? Yep. So I was like, I feel like I need a style. She's like, okay. So she's going to come over and we're going to Marie Kondo the closet. So fun. And I'm terrified. <laughs> and she yeah. keeps sending me like pictures of things. I'm like, I would never wear that. I would never wear that. That's too much color. That's too much pattern. That's too much. Yeah. She was like, oh my gosh, if this is going to work, you are going to have to open your mind, friend. And I'm looking at you right now across the table. You're wearing a black All t-shirt black. with a black jacket. <laughs> yep. And jeans and black. Yep. and. And my dance goes, but she's like, I can't believe you even wear those out of the house. (laughs) I love them. But I think when you have someone that sees your style or can style you or Mm -hmm. give you different, it's like, oh, it's so eye-opening. Yeah. And and another thing that we want to focus on, so we do have a number of our vintage vendors who actually offer personal shopping services, which is so cool because you can set set up an appointment with them, go to their homes or their studios, and they'll have a bunch of stuff picked out for you that you can try on that it's not like rushed. It's a little fun kind of. Yeah. Cause I feel like I'm too big to wear vintage cause I'm a 12. Same. I feel the same. Yeah. yeah and everything is tough. so cute and yeah. it's a four. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, it's great for a 24 inch waist. And why do you like, <laughs> I, I'm like, I guess was the world 24 inch waist. I guess everyone just like drink gin and tonics and, and smoke cigarettes, cigarettes yeah. a day and you'll be fine um it's you'll so die true. at the age of like 40 but, but it's hey, fine. you'll be able to fit into that size having four pencil said that skirt. that's kind of more of a plug though to do the personal shopping piece because that takes some of that frustration out of it because they'll already have picked out stuff that will work for you and there's a woman uh nora mcinerney mm-hmm. um that she wears a lot of vintage clothes yeah she's tall yeah Thin yep. and tall, yep. but not like size four thin. So I'm always like, well, if she can do it, yeah. I can do it. I'll you know, and I think she gets a lot from Tandem. She from does. Amanda at Tandem Vintage. She'll hook you up. She'll get you get you going. So when you took the business course about yep. the financials, mm-hmm. were there things about your financials that you learned that were shocking? Yeah. And I think there was just a lot of stuff where I was familiar with the terms, you know, like a cash flow projection. Like mm-hmm. I know what that is in my logical brain. Like, I don't know how to do one though. Like, well, I do now, but like, those are the kinds of things where you, you hear these things bandied around and like, I'm used to just looking at my bank balance and saying, I have money, but like, I don't really have a grasp on, well, how much of that is left over from last quarter or how much do you need to have as outgoings? And so it really helps you drill down on, on those pieces and just um part of the focus of the course is if you were to look for investment funding or if you wanted to say buy a building like what is your banker going to ask you what do you need to have on reserve like how do you present that information and then for each business it's a little bit different because my business for example is very seasonal so I make zero money from January to June Um, and so I have to save up enough, like at the end of the previous year and live off of that. And so that's one of the things that they teach you how to tell that story to a potential funder or a borrower, you know, or sorry, a lender. Um, so it's important to understand those things. And even just in the five weeks that we did that financial piece, we, I feel like so much more competent in being able to understand the numbers that I'm looking at each month. Well, and I think if you go to an event and you have X number of items to sell and you go to the event and you come back and you've made some money, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I made some money. But Mm -hmm. you don't know what your cost of goods were. You don't know what your time was. And 
I would imagine for you, you have employees that have probably been with you now mm-hmm. for a while. So maybe do you need to have like a manager or do you need to elevate right. some of the employees and pay more of an hourly wage than you were? Right, right. People kind of expect that if they stay in, they're loyal and they do a yep. good job that over time they'll get raises and, yep. you know, it helps you manage that, I would assume. Yeah. From a marketing standpoint, what did you, were there things that you learned that you were like, whoa, Um, I think it really helped me to fine tune. Like I had a lot of ideas just buzzing around in my head for a long time. And I'd say that's probably my biggest, I don't know whether it's a strength or a detriment, but like, yeah, it's like, I have more ideas than I can ever execute. And that's, um, part of what I struggle with is like trying to distill those into what's a fun idea and sounds great, but like, isn't actually, actually practical. And uh, figuring out that I had all these different channels that actually fed into the same um, outcome was really exciting. That was kind of a breakthrough moment for me of thinking, well, should we have a podcast? Should we have a blog? Should we do more fashion shoots and things like this? And realizing that actually they're all elements that are going to help me get to where I'm trying to get to. So it was really interesting to have that breakthrough. And it was taught by Liz from The Coven, who's mm-hmm. just marketing guru and just had so much valuable information to share and even just on how they branded and launched their business in such a quick time frame. I mean, they launched the coven within like one year of having that conversation to doors open. That's like insane. And for those of you that maybe don't know, the coven is a woman focused core. Um, is it all women? It's um, women, non-binary and trans folks. Okay. So um, yeah, and it's a community and co-working space. So it's not just, you know, I'm a founding member there. I should disclose that, that um, I invested in them during their Kickstarter phase mm-hmm. or their I Fund winning Women campaign, I should say. Um, and so I'm pretty close to their business in terms of like having been there a long time and just seeing what they're accomplishing is really, really impressive. It's very inspirational to me. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. And are there, so you're in a co-working environment versus mm-hmm. like just working out of your house. Why did you do yeah. that? Um, you know, I do about, um, I do about a day or two a week at the coven. Um, and really for me, like the thing that I have found the most beneficial for it, rather than sitting in my little hovel of an office, yeah. where, which is like my office is the room where everything gets thrown in and the door gets wedged shut so that you don't have to deal with it. So I like sit in this tiny little pile of papers and, and crap and, it's very easy to feel isolated and especially when I don't have a business partner or a, you know, um, anyone on my team that's helping with the organization of the events. And so it can be very lonely and sometimes you need other people that are doing similar work or it may be completely different work, but understand what that feels like to not know or just to bounce ideas off of and, and see how they solved problems, you know, and um, really the community there is, um, is the biggest benefit I would say. So I have met so many people. We hired all of the people that did our workshops last year were people that I had made connections through there. I found my photographer, my Instagram manager, you know, all of these different people that I probably wouldn't have come across in other networking groups or circles. And I'm very much like, um, I'm quite protective of my time and time I give away to things because, usually it has to come out of my time with my family or, you know, things like that. And so to find somewhere where I could make those connections without having to outlay a lot of extra 
oh, you have to come and network for three hours. Like, right. I, don't, I don't want to network with no purpose. Like that to me just sounds like an absolute nightmare. <laughs> so if I can just be in an environment where you might just be around and meet these people and maybe you go to an event that you see them speak at and realize, oh, they're a good fit for what I'm looking for. I found my lawyer there. I found my tax, uh, my tax person there. Interesting. You know? Yeah. That they were all kind of right there. Yeah. And when you needed that resource, someone happened to be in the group. Yeah. All different industries. And it's not like BNI where you're having to pay money to go bring leads. And yeah. Oh, no, no. (laughs) Just horrors. (laughs) Um, Tell me about, uh, I'll, I think this will be a compliment, but I'm not sure. Okay. So we worked on an event together this year Mm -hmm. and it was your first time working on this event. Mm -hmm. And you came and set the event up and mm-hmm. then it was your daughter's birthday party. Mm-hmm. So you went to your daughter's birthday party and the next day, I think you came, it was a two day event. And I think you came at the end of the second day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's really ballsy. Number one, you'd never done the event before. Mm-hmm. Number two, I am the kind of person who feels like, you know, like I have to be there. Like yep. it has to be me yep. and it's bull crap. But, Mm -hmm. and you had great people that worked it. So whether you were there or weren't there, I didn't miss a beat in terms of, I don't think the customers cared. Yeah. And so I remembered saying to our friend Sarah, after the event was over, I'm like, wow, maybe we should learn something from that. Yeah. Like you can hire competent people. Yeah. You don't have to be the person making the fries. And I've always struggled with that. I have always thought I have to be making the fries. Yeah. You that's, don't. That's a very new thing for me. So are um, you, you must be intentional about it. Yeah, I have to be because really like I can't physically be everywhere. And so um, it was a decision, you know, first of all, I have great, great people. Yes, so the people do. that I've worked with um, have been with me for multiple years now and are very competent and for sure. have, you know, kind of seen all the different scenarios. And so it used to be that, yes, I was at every single event every day, start to finish Um and that is just when you're doing four or five events in a weekend, like not possible. Yeah. And too all. many. Too many. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I had to get to a point where I realized that I was starting to feel burnt out and I had competent people. And what I tend to do now more is um, I will go, especially if it's a new venue or an event that we haven't done before, I'll go for setup in the first hour or two usually um, because that's when there are going to be issues if there are anything, you know, usually it's oh, this space isn't now available or or someone's got a different display and they didn't realize, you know. And so those are definitely things that my team can deal with, but it's also nice for me to troubleshoot and figure out, okay, make sure everyone's happy and then head out. Yeah, so it's... um, Do you remember the first time you did that? Were you like dying inside? I like there was a lot of text messages. <laughs> there yeah. was a lot of how is it? Are there people there? Are people shopping? Do the vendors seem happy? Did everyone have yes. it? You know, like and just you when you run the, a market, yeah. you really want everybody to be happy. You mm-hmm. want them to make sales, but mm-hmm. you, there's so many elements you don't control. Yeah, my first market that I did, I almost had a nervous breakdown mm-hmm. because it rained, and I yeah. was like, oh, you know, no amount of planning or hard work can yeah. really deal with rain. It sucks. Yeah. And then I realized like, oh, wait, the people have been at markets and it's rained before. It's not my personal fault. Yeah. Like they were like, oh, it sucks that it's raining, but it happens. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be all right. But yeah, I think that's the thing is you have to troubleshoot as much as you can. And you, you know, if something comes up where you can improve the situation, you do it. 
if not, it's kind of, well, we're all in this together and yeah, you make the best of it. And I mean, our people, especially our craft market, people are so seasoned with those types of outdoor events and stuff. They're very used to rain or shine and they know what they're signing up for. And have you, so you've got craft market, you've got vintage market. Mm -hmm. There used to be a market in town that was really cool. Mm -hmm. That was a, I want to, I'll call it a premium market because it was higher end Mm -hmm. and it was, um, good retail goods. Some of them were made here. Some of them weren't like Faribault Woolen Mills was, I can't remember Mm -hmm. the name of it, Minnesota made or something. Okay. Can you see like having another brand and expanding that way? Yeah. You know, I've thought about that a little bit. Um, so the other options that I was considering when, you know, what are the next steps for this business is to do a national or an international Mm -hmm variation and the more I thought about that you know like a renegade craft fair for example they do things um all over the world in fact um and I think the reason that I don't want to go in that direction is it's so much legwork to build the trust and build the audience and build your network of makers and it's very much a word of mouth industry as well I think and so we started pretty slow and we had a handful of key people that really spread the word for us um And that was something that happened kind of organically and we were very lucky to have that. And I think, oh gosh, if you're trying to do a show in Portland and you don't have any connections there, how do you even do that? Like, and I I often see other, you know, the the opposite end of that is Minneapolis being on the receiving end of national things. And I'm always curious to see how those go and how well they're received. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, I always watch what other similar events are doing and things like that. Um, the, The one area that I'm, considering this is maybe sharing too much but considering expanding into and this is like a two-year plan for me would be a wholesale um operation so typically our our market vendors are doing straight to consumer sales but we get a lot of buyers from patina or local boutique stores and people that are recruiting for vendors for malls and things like that come to our markets to find people and so i've been toying with the idea for over a, well it's probably closer to two years now I've been thinking about this but the idea of doing a wholesale show here that would be a next step for a lot of our vendors and bringing national buyers to Minneapolis That's smart yeah and we don't there is the Minneapolis Mart happens here mm-hmm. um, and I guess they're going through some changes with um, their format and stuff but I think it would be a really fun way to get people to stop seeing this as flyover country because I think that's a common thing that you have to go to a New York now or, you know, one of the big trade shows in San Francisco. And by the time you've outlaid your $7,000 on booth fees and hotel and travel and shipping everything, you know, that's a really big investment for a lot of people, especially as a first time wholesale show. I was going to ask you, I thought for sure you were going to say kids because you're a mom of two Uh, young kids. Interesting. Yeah. I've, I've had a conversation about that before. I haven't, haven't done too many very specialty markets, but that is definitely something I've considered before that and jewelry. Um, because we, jewelry is by far our biggest category, Mm -hmm. you know, and I know that there's the Walker jewelry sale in, uh, that just happened a couple of weekends ago. Um, so I think there's definitely a market for that as well. I feel like that jewelry show comes up every year and I hear about it the day it's happening. Yeah. And then I have oh. something else going on. Yeah. Like, I don't know who they it's market to. to yeah. But it's just like, I guess, art, I guess, members of the Walker yeah. and yeah. there you go. That's yeah. enough. I don't know. I go there for the British Arrows Awards every Christmas. Yes. That's like my family holiday tradition here. And yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> 
Um, are there, when you look around and you look at the Twin Cities, like there's got to be people that you're just like, oh, that's so cool. Like, because you're a tastemaker. Do you see yourself as a tastemaker? Um, yeah, I guess maybe technically I don't think of it that way. Mm-hmm. I don't, I really hate the term influencer and I don't like, I don't want to, uh, I guess I'm not looking for bragging rights on that stuff is how I would see it. Like maybe I accidentally am uh, being doing some of those things, but that's not how I would... I would rather be known for my work than... I, don't I think know. that's what a tastemaker is. Yeah. I don't think that you necessarily are consciously influencing based mm-hmm. on your style, mm-hmm. but I think you are collecting people mm-hmm. and therefore you have a certain aesthetic and a certain mm-hmm. taste that maybe you're not exhibiting in your own life or your own clothing mm-hmm. or whatever, but you know who those people are that are on the cutting edge mm-hmm. because you can look at what they're doing, what they're selling, how they're selling it. Mm-hmm. And you can tell whether they have it or not. Yeah. I would say I have that in the food space. Like yeah. I can look at someone's yeah. product. I can interview them. Yeah. I can just talk with them and I can know yeah. whether they have it or don't have it. That makes sense. And sometimes people that have it aren't successful for lots of reasons. Yeah. Other times people will surprise you, mm-hmm. but you don't you think like when someone sits down and you talk to them, you're like, Oh Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely true. Um, I think a lot of it for for me is like um, I've always had like a pretty high tolerance for risk. And so like even just in my family growing up and stuff, I think that I would make decisions like the decision to travel solo around the world for eight months, Mm -hmm. like freaked my mum the F out. (laughs) Like she just about had a hernia the day that I told her I was leaving the country for eight months on my own. and like, it's that kind of trust in yourself and your instinct and you like mold these ideas over. And that's kind of how I like direct my business is I, you know, I'll, I'll get like a little kernel, kernel of an idea and I'll keep thinking about it and mulling it over and it just sits right with me or it doesn't, you know, and I'll keep working it until it clicks. And then I'm like, okay, this makes sense. And this is what we're doing. And my brain is like very, I think it's like my event planning background. I'll like be very rational and logical Mm -hmm. but then I also have the like the ability to trust the emotional piece that comes along with that and be like this is right and I just know it's right you know and you and you don't question yourself like you just go yeah I I think I'm like so planful that I like I don't do things that are like not thought through Mm -hmm. but it's like quite often like if I say I'm going to do something by the, usually by the time it comes out of my mouth, it's the decision is made and it's happening. Okay. And then other people are like, how do you do that? And I'm like, you just ask for it. You ask for it and you take what you want and you, you get it. Like, and people don't realize that there's a lot to be had if you just ask for it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think you have to, I was just talking to someone today who was having trouble getting paid for her work. And I was like, well, they're paying everybody else. Mm-hmm. So somehow you're coming across as that you are okay mm-hmm. with being the last in line for mm-hmm. payment. Mm-hmm. And yet you have contractors that you're paying. And yep. so, and they want her to do more work. And I'm yep. like, so you can't do more work till you get paid for the work you've yep. done. And in the future, yep. start to ask for some upfront. If yep. someone has a problem with that, they either don't have the money to begin with, mm-hmm. or they don't respect you enough yep. to understand that you're a business person too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I think especially in Minnesota and I think for women, especially it's hard to ask for what you want it or is. hard to value your work, especially if you're in a creative field. Like right. I, I see a lot of um, vendors who come through with products and 
I'll ask them how much is this and they tell me and I'm like you're charging way too little for that yep like this should be double that price you need to charge more and they're like oh everyone says that but I don't know I'm like do it that's <laughs> exactly like- <laughs> or I like will be in an event and a food event and people won't sample mm. like oh I don't people just come and they just want the sample yeah I don't sell them if I, yeah. I'm like no you're selling peanut butter yeah they're not gonna buy your specialty peanut yeah. butter for twelve dollars yep. at a farmer's market if they can't taste it exactly and if they have to ask you for a sample yep. too like well if they want one they'll ask no, no people no, are gonna walk so, by yeah. your booth give you the side eye and yep. think oh I wish I could try that but they're not sampling that's too bad and yeah. keep moving exactly yeah and you know and we see a lot of success with um people who offer at our markets like just little like make and take things even if it's just like a little free kids activity or like a sampling something or other I have this one lady who does um bath and body products and she's an older lady she's um I'm not gonna hazard to guess but retirement age um and she is one of the hardest hustlers I have ever met she will literally She'll have her husband man the booth and she will walk around to every table and say, would you like a sample of lotion? It's so cold outside. Or she'll ask the brewery venue that we're in, is it okay if I put my hand creams in the in the restrooms? And you go in there and use the restroom and her stuff's in there. And I'm like, that is genius, my friend. And she, I mean, her stuff's awesome as well, but she, you know, how else are you going to make one bath or body product stand out from another one? And you have to work your booth. Yeah. Like you can't sit yes. behind it in Absolutely. your tall director's chair it isn't an art fair yeah you know what I mean where people are coming to peruse your art yeah it is a market like you need to tell people about your product they are there because they want to connect with you yeah I get frustrated when people just sit in their booth and then complain like well nobody bought anything yeah I will say our top sellers are people who never bring chairs because I mean and even if I'm at, at a market shopping to me the people who are standing up look ready to sell look like They've just had a customer and you're going to catch them next. And you, you want to be at that booth that has a hundred percent. Yeah. Then I can that has just serve people from working with you this summer. Like I, you had a handful of booths. I took a, I was like that person right there is going to be the mm-hmm. one who's going to make the most. Mm-hmm. This person over here is really working every yep. angle. Yeah. And when someone comes, especially vintage, yeah, like you don't know where to access that. Yep. Right. Do I yep. start looking at the t-shirts? Right. Do I look at the button downs? Right. I don't know. If someone like says, hey, I have this over here that would look cute. Yeah. Then I'm like, oh, okay. They invite me in and then we start to talk and they know kind of what I'm looking for. And it's a huge part of it. And you know, the way that I think of it as well as you're there for the five hours or whatever our show is like, you can choose to make money or you can choose not to make money. You're there anyway. You may as well put 110% into it, you know, and, and that's definitely, we see a really big difference between the people who are take those things really seriously and really push and and even just like how you engage a customer with like a first question we have one um brand Faranita that does a ton of our shows um and they have a great team of of women who sell their jewelry who uh like the first question they ask you is are you familiar with Faranita and that's a great opening question because you can either say yes or no. And if you say yes, it's like, great, you know, yeah. like look at this new line we have. If they say no, that's a perfect opening to, well, we work with women who are survivors of sex trafficking and abuse in 16 countries, you know, and then people are hooked and they want to know more about, oh, this line of jewelry is made from bullet casings in Ethiopia that are melted down and made into necklaces. Like that's really cool. Yes, and their is. stuff is really cute, really affordable. It's ethical. 
you're buying all the jewelry. Yeah. Like next thing you know, like they get me every time. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I was like, well, where can I sign up to yeah, buy some? Right yeah. Now? See, I mean, I even know their elevator pitch. That's how good they are. Like, yeah, it's, it's and it does take that. And yeah. if you don't have that or you don't know what it is, then work on it. Like yeah. you can be better if you go to a show. Some, I went to a lot of trade shows in my career and sometimes mm-hmm. the trade, I just, well, I didn't have it that weekend. I yep. wasn't feeling it, Yeah. but you know, I always evaluated it and like, well, I didn't do as well. Here's what I can yep. do different at get people that you trust to listen to your elevator pitch. Yeah. Like you don't have to stay stuck in it. You can do something different. And if you're not the person, like maybe you're a great maker and you're not a good seller. Like I'm probably a terrible salesperson. I'm like, do you want to buy this? No. Okay. Never right. mind. <laughs> Thanks, thanks anyway. Thanks for looking. Um, like hire someone, you know, pay someone $15 an hour to stand at your booth who's got a great personality, who can draw people in, who knows your product and knows you and can really push that stuff. Like, you know, if you do a five hour show and you hire someone to come there for five hours, what, you're out $75? Like It depends. And if they, you know? any salesperson could sell that in a minute. Right, yeah. right sell that in a minute yeah well it's been super awesome to talk to you yeah thanks for having Uh, anyone that you want to like say hey just looking like is there anyone that's doing anything cool um so I guess I mentioned a few times about the people who do our markets and then go on to do like fun pop-ups and stuff so there's a couple of those that are coming up right now that I just wanted to um give a shout out to even though it's not promoting my own business I guess um but so there is a cool uh, new collective called the Founders Collective which is Mend Jewelry who is one of our vendors B&D Custom Crafts and then they've also partnered with um I believe it's Heidi from Excelsior Candle Company mm-hmm. And so they're doing a little pop-up over at uh, Ridgedale Center. And so that's November and December. So it's really cool to see them getting into this semi-permanent space and hiring and scaling up in that way. And It's Jordan, is that? It's Jordan, yes. She's fantastic. She's great. She's really great. Yeah. We, uh, we, she was a guest a few episodes oh, back. Mend Jewelry. Yeah, you can she's, look for her. she's really interesting. She has just like, she's her business has a lot of interesting facets about it that I think is really fascinating. Um, and then on the vintage side, one of our vendors, um, Moth Oddities, Yana and Ian are doing a pop-up with a few other uh, makers and local people, not just vintage people, um, over on Grand called the Grand Collective. So that's going to open soon here. Where is it? Do you know? Uh, it's right on Grand opposite Red Rabbit, I believe. Oh, sweet. Right yeah. down by my house. Just right down by your Excellent. house. Excellent. on down there. Yeah. I love it. So They, they were little, real sweet. Yeah, they're great as well. And, you know, so it's cool to see these... Um, brands you know having like a dipping a toe in like semi-permanent retail spaces I really liked a couple that came to Duluth that had a vintage bus yes they were real sweet yes I hope they come back next year yeah they're based out in Detroit I believe yeah and they kind of drive around and yeah if you thought about like the idea that you could do retail in so many different ways like at the state fair in a van you know in a 10 by 10 tent yeah at a market like it's so it's really commoditized the idea of that you can buy things in lots of different places. Yeah. You used to have to go to the mall, right. you know, and if right. it wasn't at the mall, then it was, I guess, at a market. Yep. Um, I just, I feel like it, you can find cool stories and cool makers anywhere these days and it's yeah. really been fun. And it gives us a, you know, it's a really flexible business model because if something's not working, we are not locked into yeah, a and you space can that we've invested mm-hmm. in. Yeah. And speaking of that one last plug, we are, um, we have a new location for our winter holiday market with Linden Hills farmers market. So we're over at Wagner's green, uh, greenhouses and garden center, which is at 60th and Penn. 
Um, so we're over there now, the, finishing out the last few market, uh, last few weeks of the farmers market season, and then holiday market se- season starts November second through December every Saturday and Sunday. So you'll be inside Wagner's, inside the greenhouses, yes. And then people will be able to buy wreaths and those kind of yep. things too. All of the winter home decor and stuff, and then they have all their gorgeous like indoor plants and things. And so. I know Nola, who was the grandma, who was mm-hmm. Nola Wagner. She okay. died. Okay. And it must be her kids that are taking it over. Yeah, it's a whole family business. So oh, there's the, the two brothers and then their one of their daughters. And Nola was and a fantastic yeah. person. Yeah. That, she was really great. That greenhouse has been there for like a hundred years. Yes, it has been. So, yeah. Oh, I yeah, love so that you're going to be um, in there. Yeah. Sundays right now, 10 till three, and then Saturdays and Sundays starting November November and December. So and it's, it's be... greenhouse, so it's yes. fun to be inside yeah, and, and it's kind of warm. With and... the farmer's market, so there's food vendors, food trucks yeah. outside. It'll be really fun. All right. Yeah. Oh, well, we will look for you there. Thanks for being yeah. a guest today. Thanks for having me.